All right, good morning. Welcome to the year 2022. Hallelujah. The year COVID died. (laughs) Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Well, listen, we're going to lean into worship this morning because God is deserving of the glory and the praise and the honor. Whether we're tired, whether we're just orienting to a new year coming out of the Christmas season, whatever it may be, he demands our attention. Amen? Father, we pray today, God, that grace would flow from heaven over this place. God, that as we lift up your name, as we worship you, that, Father, you would feel the adoration of true worship, that you would find in this place, in this nation, people that seek your face. We long for you today, Lord. Let's worship him. I believe God wants to redefine in this generation what church means, what it is, what our experiences are. I think how tragic would it be that we would come to the house of God and yet never have an experience with God. If you told somebody that you were invited to the White House, the first question they ask is, did you see the president? If you were asked to go to Buckingham Palace, your hope and expectation would be that you would meet the queen. We cannot tolerate coming to the house of God without experiencing the presence of God without crying out to his name, without hungering and thirsting to experience more of him. God, we say it's you. You are the reason that we gather today. We long, we long, we long that you would kiss our souls this day, that we would feel the breath of life. Just keep leaning in. I keep seeing seeds, seeds have been dormant, seeds that have been subject to a cold atmosphere that have made them unable to germinate, unable to break out of the husk, the process of life that created those seeds that was responsible for their existence has gone dormant. But in the warmth of the presence of God, these seeds are beginning to move again with life. And so we say, let the breath of God breathe and warm the seeds of destiny and purpose in your life. Come alive in the name of Jesus. I speak to the seeds of purpose and destiny and identity. I say, come alive. Come alive. Come alive. Come alive. Come alive. 
I feel there's somebody either listening online or you're here in the room. And your life consists of all the, the things that seem to be appropriate. You've gone to school, you have a job, you're going through life, you've been told and taught how to behave in certain situations, but deep in your heart there's a sense that you were made for more than this. You were made for more than the rote demands of the existence that you've been thrust into. And the Lord is speaking and whispering to your heart that you were made for more than this. That there's nothing wrong with being faithful, but there's promise inside of you that has yet to be determined. And I say, let the promise of God begin to come up with a hope and op optimism that is not quenched by fear. Let creativity, let possibilities begin to arise in your heart that you could have a different life a different existence, that the things you once dreamed as a young boy, those things that were in your heart that you imagined, they were not the passing whims of an immature mind, but the breaths of vision, the breath of vision that comes from a God, from eternal God who called you before you were a seed in your mom's womb. Father, this is the house of miracles. And we are a people of miracles. You know, I don't think it's escaped our notice that we are in a difficult place in this nation. We are at a critical crossroads. And I want to say what I've said before, that hope is in this room, the future is in rooms like this scattered across this land because it used to be that every church when they assembled they were gateways for the presence of God they were they were atmosphere changing units they were they were equivalent to spiritual uh spiritual air conditioners or heaters that change atmosphere and when we stop being that as the church of God, when we stop being a release point for the knowledge of God, then suddenly that atmosphere that used to charge our nation, used to spill into the streets, used to be an impedance to sin and gross darkness dissipated and allowed something to begin to cultivate. And it's not because the world is the world, because the world is always the world. But it's because the church stopped being the church. It stopped being the habitation of God. It stopped being a place of manifestation. So, Father, we say, let the church of Canada come alive. Let there be a turnaround. Let there be a sense of crisis that would cause us to begin to cry out to you again as we have never cried out. Oh God, we intercede for your church across Canada. We say, come alive. 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 Come alive.
Can you say thank you, Lord? Amen. Uh, anyway, I, I'm so delighted. I still remember so vividly the prophetic word I got from Bob Jones after the Lord had spoken to Wendy and I in a very supernatural way that we were supposed to come here. We knew it. And, uh, but Dennis Wiedrich had asked Bob to pray about it, and I had met Bob in Kelowna at an event there, uh, and he said to me, he said, yeah, you're the, jo- you're the guy for the job, and, he, and uh, uh, of course, I didn't know how significant it was going to be for me that, that there's just certain things that I hadn't had the opportunity to experience in terms of leadership, in terms of uh, refining my revelation about what it meant to be an apostolic people. I knew certain things worked. I knew they worked on me. I knew they worked in the context of intimate relationships, certain principles of the kingdom of God. But I had never had the opportunity to see, could this work with a group of people? And uh, so here we are. Some 20 years later, and uh, we're still forging ahead. We're still learning. We're still experimenting. And uh, more than ever, I am convinced of what the Lord spoke to me in that first period, that first season, that this church is called to be an apostolic church to release an apostolic people. And so uh, this church is not like other churches in one sense, uh, because we're, we're looking to raise disciples of Christ. And disciples of Christ are defined by those who bear their cross, that they deny their own life, that they live for him. And, uh, and so that means something more than we imagine. And this morning I was reading about the life of David and how David of course, had given himself to, he had a heart after God and he wanted some things. But here's the thing, David didn't understand everything. He didn't know anything. All he knew was that he wanted more of God. And so he starts to venture. And as he's venturing, one of those pivotal moments is, you know, we need to, we need to get the ark moved from the house of Obedidim up there. And so this is a noble thing. This is the product of his passion for God, that he's going to do this thing. And you know what happens along the way? Uzzah, you know, the ox, they put it on the, the, the cart because they don't know what they're doing. And you think, you know, you think that, well, God would give them a little space. Like, well, like they don't know what they're doing. He's trying hard. He's trying hard. And that's, that's the sentiment that I hate. Okay? That expectation that, that just because we're trying hard and we're sincere, God should gloss over all of our errors and ignore them. Because God in, doesn't do that. Hello. God didn't gloss over this error that David made. That he didn't say, well, you know, he's trying hard. I just, it's, it's a thought that counts. No, it isn't the thought that counts. God is a demanding God, and he wants things done his way because they just don't work any other way. What's produced any other way is death. It's always death. And only God knows this. And so when it seems he's harsh, when it seems he's demanding, he's not. He's protecting us. And if you understand his love, then when he's harsh, you know it's not to be mean. And so I hope that you understand that the apostolic 
ministry that is rising up in the earth that's creating a different kind of disciple is not mean. It is there to keep you from producing death so that you produce life. And so, uh, so uh, we're going we're gonna to talk along that theme. I woke up this morning at 5 a.m. and I was uh, quite awake, but I did not want to get up because I was really tired and I'd only had about six hours sleep and I was, you know, just on the tail end of a little bit of a, a cold and so yeah, I wanted to stay in bed. But I'm laying in bed and there's, so, there's things cascading down upon my heart that are so clear and I'm thinking, ah, I should get up and meditate on these things. I thought, no, because what happens is I get up and then all the tiredness that I, I'm not feeling right in the second kind of goes away. Anyway, I, these things became so clear and I thought, well, they'll, they'll be clear at seven. <laughs> they were not. Uh, nevertheless, I'm going to lean into some things today because God is wanting to deliver us from death. He is wanting to deliver us from the fruit of death. He's wanting to deliver us from the pride of confidence in our own efforts, in our own ways. And he's trying to produce eternal life in and through you. You are the agency through which God is going to change the world. One person at a time, one community at a time, one event at a time. But it's on us. That means it's on me, it's on you. We can't abdicate this responsibility. We can't say, well, that's the pastor's job because it's not even the pastor's job or the apostle's job or the prophet's job. It's the people's job, right? Ephesians 4.12 said the fivefold ministry is for the, right, the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. The saints do the work of the ministry. Anyway, so... I want to read something, uh, a passage from John, because this will introduce what I feel. Uh, I want to go towards this idea, and I've shared it before, but it's the organic nature of the kingdom of God. Because even this morning when we were in prayer there, people began to pray. Uh, I won't mention their names, but a couple people had some prophetic sharings and some crying out, and uh, somebody was praying I, I want to, about being delivered from things that are false. I want to be delivered from things that are false. Uh, I, I'd like to teach on it at some point. I don't th think I've done a great job of uh, sharing on the, the two trees here. But the two trees in the garden, one of the tree, trees was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it should be called the tree of death. Because when Adam and Eve ate of it, they died. They died spiritually. They were separated from God. The outcome, the fruit of that was death. And so God is trying to deliver us from things, not just that look like evil, but things that look like good that produce death. And we're good with being purged or separating ourselves from things that look like evil, but we're not good of being purged from things that look like good that produce death. We can't tell the difference. And so God has this plan to create fruit out of you. And it, but it's this, it's this impossible thing he's doing in you because you don't know what he's doing. And he's just calling you to seek him, to draw near to him, 
to worship him. And he said, this is his promise. If you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. But why, why do we need proximity to God? Because in the same way, the seeds in the ground are brought al- made alive by the presence of God and by the warmth of the sun. The same way the water that goes into the ground nourishes that seed and over time produces a little sprout and that sprout turns into a tree and eventually that tree produces fruit. God is saying, I'm going to produce righteousness in you and through your life through this same process. I'm going to produce righteousness in you through this. I'm not asking you to be righteous. You don't have the capacity to be righteous. You don't even know what righteousness is. But here's what I'm promising you. I'm going to produce righteousness in you. And there's a world of difference between people trying to be righteous and God producing righteousness in us. And one of the great uh, failures of the church is to fail to discern the difference between that which looks good and that which is good. And so uh, let's look at the model here. John 15, verse 1 to 5. I'm going to share a couple of scriptures and we'll see if we can piece some of this together. And again, I know, well, haven't we heard this before? Yes, But you know, when you're talking about the ways of God, we're not talking about information you stack at the back of your 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 mind, you know, for some convenient moment. It's it's meant to define your whole existence. Because this is how I work. And so the Lord wants to deliver us from confidence in our own works, in in the confidence that we can produce through effort, through uh through the right posture. Righteousness. Righteousness is the fruit that comes from God and God alone. Now, oh, hallelujah. Let me, let me pause for a second. You know, what we do is we, we, we mimic. We mimic. We're great mimickers. You know, when, when we, we see somebody who's doing something and somebody says, wow, what a good boy. We think, well, I would like that praise as well. How many of you like that praise? There's two types of people in the earth. There's some people that like the praise and can do what's required to achieve the praise. And then there was other people like me. I tried to achieve the praise, but I always failed. And I was always condemned, disciplined, you know, called bad names, considered the bad boy. And, uh, and but, you know, it, but it's easier for people like me. It is a lot easier, but it's hard to be the good girl, the good boy, and become a Christian because you have this inbuilt confidence that, well, I'll just keep doing the right things, and that's as good as being righteous. But it isn't. It isn't because the root in us is this desire for praise, this desire for honor, this desire for glory. And, uh, and that's, that's the thing that has to die. That's the reason why people who are, who are not born of God do good things. That's why, they, that's why your neighbors who aren't saved, who aren't Christians, and they're pretty good people, the reason they do it is not because they're actually good. Because there's none good, no, not one. They're doing it because they have a need, a deep need for validation. And they've discovered that being nice 
is the way that they've achieved commendation from the world around them. And so they continue to do that without the slightest idea that that is not righteousness, that that is not wholesome, that that is not actually good. And that anything that's produced from that seed, from that root, from that desire, is going to be cast into eternal fire. That's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's none good, no, not one. Well, I had a good thought once. If you did, it must have come from above. But the, the reality is we have this mixture of things that we, we do, things we're compelled to do, that seem to be good, which are not good. Now, so we're mimickers. I want you to think about something here. We're going to take this out of a different, out of that context. We're going to put it in a totally different context. Have you ever met somebody who does not converse well? You know, they just don't have the people skills, and you know, they they're they're loners, they're introverts, they're insecure, they're you know, and and we've all experienced that to some degree. I mean, there's always been some scenario where you feel awkward, you say the wrong thing, you you get into a meeting, or you're in a particular environment where like everybody else is having a good time, and I just didn't couldn't think of one good thing to say. Right, so when you look at somebody who doesn't know how to converse well, you 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 want to help them, right? So what do you do? You say, well, here, here, let me break it down for you. Here, here are the components of conversation. I'm going to teach you to converse well. Here are the components of conversation. Well, the first thing you do is you greet one another. You know, ask each other how you are. I remember looking at watching this movie. Well, Pride and Prejudice is a great example, right? Where they have this. This um, in in the time of the nobles and the British society, the you know the epitome of politeness. It was all, it was all this mm, formalized conversation, and everybody knew how to do it. It's like, how is your family? Has your father well? Is your is your mother well? You know, I mean, it's just consummate politeness. It's just, you know, it's like because. The thing is, you can do that, and you can do it with the right tone and the right kind of sound of, you know, the you know, feigning interest, and it, it, it not, none of it be authentic or genuine. But everybody learned to do it, because that's what you do. And so that's how we build things. We build things not from seed, where they're organic and they're real. We just compartmentalize the behaviors, and we assign categories to what should be done in an order, and then we do it. And we think that's the same thing. And we do that with conversation. Well, if you don't know what to do, then, okay, do these things. Greet each other. Do some small talk. Talk about the weather. Talk about how about those oilers, right? Uh, Ask questions. Ask questions. Like, uh, so what are you doing this? How's your Christmas? Are you enjoying this weather? Are you going to get away this year? (laughs) Right? You know, have some anecdotal stories, you know, some, some little tidbits to, to share, you know, to interject into conversation and, and, or have a joke or two to tell. And so what, you, what ends up, when people don't actually know how to converse, they awkwardly try to infuse these different components into conversations that they're not fitting into, right? Meanwhile, there's others that are actually conversing. They're, they're actually talking. It's, it's organic. You know, maybe they've known each other for 20 years or whatever, or they just, they just, it just flows out of them. And you think, what makes the difference between this and this? Well, one might possibly be real. <laughs> I remember a few years ago, 
I, I, I remember, because I, when I get together with people, I want to talk about kingdom things. I want to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about revelation. I want to, you know, like, what's God doing, you know, and these things. And Wendy's like asking all these questions about people's family. Now, I, and it's not that I don't care. It's just I don't remember. Right? And somebody would say, well, that's probably because you don't care. <laughs> no, I don't remember my own stuff either. You know, can't find my keys. I don't know. I mean, it's just on and on and on. Just details I'm just not good at. But anyway, I remember asking Wendy the, the question when we were first married, like, why are you asking all these questions? Well, because I care. You don't care. Like, nobody cares about the mundane issues. And But I learned over time that she did. <laughs> that actually she remembered every detail. We'd meet people a year later. She remembered that they had a nephew that was sick. They, they would, she remembered the ages and names of their kids and, and on and on. It's like, like, ugh. But listen, as a component of conversation making, asking questions is meaningless unless you care about the answer. In other words, what makes it really conversational is that it's organic, is that it's real, is that it's authentic. You cannot, you you cannot in the kingdom of God, and this is where we're going, we cut in the kingdom of God where things that are real, you can't Frankenstein things. You know what Frankenstein is? You know, Dr. Frankenstein decided he was going to make a human being by assembling pieces and hoping that some electrical current he can get from a storm will come down and generate life. Remember that? And the picture is great, because what does it produce? This murderous evil that walks in artificial, stumbling manner. And that's kind of that's what we do when we don't do it God's way. I'm a Christian. <laughs> Just don't get in my way. So let me... We... we there is a, there, God is not interested in you sitting back and, as a, and look, looking at other people and saying, okay, what is a Christian like? And beginning to assemble the, the, uh, the delivery of your Christianity in that manner. He's not interested in you, in you doing that. Now, here's the rub. Here's the rub. Okay, I understand this. I understand that if you don't do those things in certain environments, you get no friends, you have no relationships, you don't fit in, everybody judges you. Okay, that's on us. We have not created a safe environment for broken people to organically come to a place of of expressing righteousness. We have imposed on them a requirement for the benefit of our love that they act a certain way the day that they're born again, right? And so we have not created, we have not had the love, the patience, or created the space for people to come up into something that's authentic. We have demanded to be artificial because otherwise you're an inconvenience, and so that's on us. But regardless, regardless, from, from an absolute standpoint, God is saying, no, it's on you to do it my way. And part of the calling is that you not be moved by the condemnation of others, by the judgments of others, by the defects of others, by anything that's going on around you. You can't use that as an excuse. When you stand before the Lord, well, Lord, your church wasn't what it ought to be. Yeah, well. 
I, I, maybe I called you to be the one to make it what it ought to be by you being what you ought to be. But you decided not to do that either. Anyway, that's pretty heavy. Let me read this. John 15, because this is the pattern. Listen to these words carefully. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now, that's a mouthful right there. I mean, think, what, what does he mean when he says, every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away? Well, I'll let you sit on that. I'll let you decide, I don't want to be that one. Now, again, God is not asking for behaviors. He's asking for connectivity. All right, the, the essence of Christianity is not behaviors first. We look at a fruit tree and you want to produce fruit, so you, you, you examine the components of the orange and then go to reproduce the orange. No, 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 no. If you want authentic oranges, you must start with an orange seed and put it in ground somewhere. Anything else is not the same. So... He says, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, I take, he takes away. So listen, next verse. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Important thing right there. Uh, man, somebody should preach on this. Chris, are you listening? <laughs> Abide in me and I in you. There's the words right there. Abide in me and I in you. Abide in me and I in you. If you do that, if you do that one thing, well, how do we do that? Everything we teach here is about that. Everything about worship, everything about faith, everything about coming together is about learning to do this one thing, abiding in him. Then some people say, well, yeah, well, I'm not the prophetic type. I'm not the spiritual type. I'm not the worship type. I just, just give me the facts or give me this or get, get me to do this other. No, abide in him. You, when, when, the, when Jesus had 12 disciples, there was one named John, and John realized he was special, and so he wrote it in his book. <laughs> John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? Well, where did he get that idea? (laughs) Well, Jesus told him. Jesus made it very clear that he was a favorite. Now, he was a favorite not because there was something about John that's very, he's got nice hair, and I like people with nice hair. Therefore, John, you're my favorite. No, it was because John stayed close to him. That's what John did. John stayed close to him. John had this uncanny ability to open his heart to receive what Jesus was saying. Cam shared in his testimony with me, and, and I'm sure it was a rocky road for him to live in proximity to me because, I, you know, I'm, I'm a, yeah, I have an anointing and I have a calling and I have things from God, but I'm also very human. I have peculiarities. I have weaknesses. I have a disposition. I have... Uh, you know, a humanity that would make you question whether I have anything good at all. (laughs) At times, maybe. Anyway, so 
so uh, John was able to lean in and to be close to Jesus and to develop the kind of intimacies that w- one day when they're out at dinner, Jesus, John is, is so physically intimate with Jesus that while the others are dipping their bread in the stuff, you know, he's, he's leaning on the, the chest of Jesus. Like, okay, how did that come about? Right? How did that happen? And do you think the others kind of like, you know, if somebody else tried to come up and cozy up to Jesus, do you think the do you think they wouldn't do it because oh, if I tried that, the others will mock. Listen, you just tried to be like John. Well, maybe I am. But how do I bridge the uncomfortableness and the lack of intimacy of my present position to get to the place where he is? And there is a whole system. There is a whole order of this, how that happens. And it's being played out in our lives today, whether we know it or not. So he says, abide in me, and I in you. Draw near, be close to me, connect in. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This is a pivotal truth. saying, listen, Anything produced other from, than from the juice that flows from the vine into you is not of me. This is an essential thing. So if you are prone to do things because of guilt, if you are prone to do things because of duty, if you are prone to do things because you like to be thought well of, these are catalysts. These are the things that give life to behaviors. Any of those things, any of those catalysts are not from the vine. They're from somewhere else. So what are they going to produce? Well, they're going to produce a behavior that stacked along another Christian, you might look exactly like that other Christian, you know. Do you tithe? Yes, I tithe. Do you tithe? Yeah, I tithe as well. Except what's your motivation? What's the genesis? What's the, what's the catalyst that's causing you to want to do this? Well, I actually don't want to do it, but I have to appear right, and I'm going for a, a I want to be an elder. And in this church, you can't be an elder unless you tithe. Whoops. I don't even know if that's true here, but you hear what I'm saying? It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Now, that's an absolute statement. That's an absolute statement. Uh, and I, I'm, listen, I'm not here to say you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. I'm here to say, do you want to be fruitful? Do you want to produce things in you? Do you want to get to the place where you actually love people and people aren't a continuous annoyance to you? Do you want to get to the place where you care for the lost? You know, it's one thing for somebody to say, you should care more about the lost. Yes, I should. Bad. (laughs) But how do I get from here to there? He says, abide in me. He's saying, listen, everything you need to do these things is in me. Or you can try to take the shortcut. I hate feeling the condemnation of others when they say, hey, have you shared with a lost person this week? And I know I haven't. So here at lunch, I'm going to, you know, do this. I don't care about this guy, but, you know, it's my little tick for the week. You know, I need to 
Hey, do you know Jesus? Well, it's just, I don't know. When I share, it's, you know, it's not successful. Well, what's the catalyst? He said, listen, if you abide in me, you will bear fruit. It's, it's, it's organic. It's organic. The juice, the life that's in the vine can flow through a grafted-in branch, even if the branch is not native to that vine, and it'll flow in it, and it'll produce fruit because it's connected. Everything we have to start with in our discipleship programs is about connectivity, not behavior. Now, behavior tells you whether you're connected or not. And that's why some people, well, I want to, I want to cut it. I want to pretend to be connected, even if you're not saying I want to pretend to be, but you don't know any different. But here's the thing. A lot of us, our life's going on and we're not changing. We're not loving people more, but we're, and we're having an increasing difficult time concealing all the bad feelings. (laughs) What could possibly be wrong? Abide in me. See, this is the thing. God has a foolproof way to change you. (laughs) And it's not based on try harder. You know, volunteer more. Now, having said that, we do need more volunteers. But you got to want to do it. Hallelujah. Now, does that mean I never do things sacrificially? No. No, you do. You have to do that. But at some point, at some point, you're looking for organic fruit. You're looking for desires to change. You're looking for something to begin to happen in your heart that is akin to an enlargement where you begin to like more people, enjoy people, and want to do things for people. Oh, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. And then conversely, for without me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. And we can say a lot about that. There was a season in my life where I had begun to bear fruit, but I started to really enjoy the affirmation that came with that fruit. And my heart became misdirected onto the affirmation, and I started really enjoying the acknowledgement, the recognition, those things that started to happen. So what did God do? He pulled the plug, and all of a sudden, for about a year and a half, he was whispering, and I didn't even know it because I was in such a confused place, but he was saying, for a year and a half, without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. And so he was keeping me on a short leash. He was saying, basically, Mark, you know, in, enjoy the overflow of that commendation from that person, but it's pretty meaningless. It's not going to take. It's not going to take you anywhere. It's not going to fulfill anything in you. And when I came out of that season, I realized, oh, without him, I can do nothing. So if you find yourself in a place today where, man, I can't seem to love God like I used to, where did you go wrong? Where was the turn made? Father, I pray right now for a spirit of revelation 
to just illuminate the heart. Father, where we begin to see places where we begin to get misdirected, where perhaps uh, the fear of man took over, the pride of life. Lord, where something interrupted our connectivity with you and we stopped abiding in you. God, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would illuminate. Father, return us to the place, God, where fruitfulness was easy, was organic, was normal, was a natural outcome of being in your presence. And let me try and rip through this uh, so much here. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and, and is withered. And they will gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Wow. Ah, Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. I'm just trying to, I've got a whole bunch more to say, but I'm just trying to cut it shorter because I see our time is, is, is coming to a close. But I want to read Galatians 5. Galatians 5 is the fruit of the Spirit. I remember when I uh, was a young Christian, I didn't used to read, oh, I used to read Galatians 5, but my favorite verses were 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. I would read the love chapter, but it was, to me it was a, it was a checklist. It was things that I was trying to make myself do so that I could feel good about doing them. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the artificial way that we, we pursue these things when we don't understand that everything in the kingdom of God is born of a seed, that there's an invisible realm and there's a visible realm. And if you want the invisible realm, it's not a matter of just lining up things on the visible side. It's about tapping into the source of the invisible that makes those things happen. And listen, we, we do this so, uh, so consistently, entire ministries get taken over by the artificial trappings of behaviors, of required behaviors. I remember being at a meeting one time and in this meeting, I was invited as a speaker to this meeting, and I won't say what ministry it is, but it was a ministry that was known for Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. It was known for salvation. It was known for baptisms, known for breakthroughs. And I was invited to this event, and, and I'm, I'm there at this event, and uh, I was asked to speak, so I, and then, of course they, I didn't realize it, but they had this agenda. They had this list, literally a list, of things that need to occur in every meeting. And there's a checklist, and they were checking off one point after another. I didn't realize this was going on, but I, I was just there to release life because that's, that's, that's what I did. I'm just here to release life. Well, anyway, we're at this place where I've shared a little bit, and I start praying for people, and there's people all over the floor. There's people weeping. There's people manifesting. There's people praying in tongues. There's, there's, there's I mean, breakthrough, breakthrough, breakthrough. And it's, it's just great, and we're coming to a close, and, and and I saw him about to give the meeting back over to the organizer, and he leans over to me and he says, "You didn't do number four. He didn't say number four, but he just said, "You know, one of the things is on my checklist, and you didn't do it. It's not a complete meeting unless you do this." What is that? That is a sad state of affairs. That is a manifestation 
of a kind of a discipleship training that is entirely lacking. That's not based on producing kingdom fruit. It's based on, well, you know, we used to do this list and all these things would happen. Now all these things aren't happening, but we're still doing the list. And here we are, and the things start happening, but we keep going back to the list because that's the thing that matters to us. How do you get that warped in your appreciation or your lack of appreciation for the kingdom? Because it's very easy for superficial, the superficial trappings we would associate with church to take over and begin to define for us. It's that, it's that component thing that Frankensteinish uh, element where we just look at the, well, it needs to have a head, it needs to have a torso, it needs to have two arms. And so that's how we try to assemble the church. The church is not the sum of the parts. It is entirely something different. It is germinated, generated by spiritual interchange, by drawing from an invisible place. Father, I pray, God. You see, if you've ever wondered why I challenge you guys the way you do, I do. It's because of this. It's because I'm trying to challenge not behaviors, but things that make for connectivity. So let's think about some of the things I challenge you to do. I challenge you to worship. Well, uh, what if we're doing it artificially? All right, well, let's take a step back. I say, well, pray in tongues then. Well, what if we're doing it artificially? Well, actually, you can't. Now, that's the one thing you can't do in your own strength. That's why it's a great starting point. You know, why do you guys pray in tongues so much around here? Because we're trying to create people that are connected to the vine. And one of the things that happens when you pray in tongues is, is you enhance that connectivity with the Spirit of God. So I say to people, well, you know, when you guys worship for an hour, I don't know what to do. Well, can you pray in tongues? Yes, well, do that. Do that, because what you're trying to do, well, I'm, I'm, worship is supposed to be an expression of me loving God, but what if I have no emotions to fuel that? You know, I see people, you know, in the front row making noise and acting like they're really intensely wanting something. I don't know. To me, that would be embarrassing to actually do that kind of thing. And let me tell you, I don't want you to do that kind of thing if it's not authentic. I mean, there's nothing worse than crying out to God, Oh, God, I really need you. Shabbat. <laughs> well, so what do you do in the meantime? Listen, the juice that's in the vine is meant to flow to you and be a catalyst for the things you see in others that are organic. Like, have you ever heard somebody pray? The other day we were on the firewall, and one of these guys, he was healed as a baby in the, by, by William Branham in some meetings back in uh, 1948. And, uh, and he, he began to pray on the call. And it was just, he just began to weep and to cry out to God. It was so beautiful. 
And, uh, and I'm thinking, okay, now that is a man who's, who's just opened his heart and is hungering and thirsting for God and it's spilling out in all kinds of different ways. And if it, would be, it would be impossible for us to say to others, do that. Right? Because that is the outcome of certain, certain energy flowing from God and creating in him desires that are authentic and genuine. So it came across with a certain abandonment. That is the envy of others who wish they could pray like that. But like, oh, I could never pray like that. And those who think, well, I could pray like that, which will start to actually pretend to feel the things he felt and say the things he said. But it strikes you as a little artificial. Not a little, a lot. So how do we get to the place? How do we increase that connectivity with God? Well, that question can't fully be answered here, but let me tell you. Desire it, want it, wait for it, spend time in places where it's happening. Show up, yeah. You know, I mean, we're, we're at a place now where the, the significance, the, the validity of gathering in meetings, well, you know, we are the church. We don't have to go to church. <clears throat> I I don't want to use insulting language, but dumb comes to mind. We need each other. We need the atmosphere that's created. If we don't have the life in ourselves, if we don't know how to do this, we need to get around people that know how to release their hearts in the presence of God. We need to have opportunities, protracted times of seeking him where we, if nothing else, at least just pray in tongues and subject our carnal minds and emotions to, to one thing we know that can't be done in human strength. So we've got 22 days here in this time, and we are approaching, I believe this is a critical season, but I believe we are approaching a season where what is considered the normal Christian life is going to be very different. That the kind of disciple that is going to make the grade in the next season is not something that's based on skill and beauty or some particular unique gifting they have. It's based on the authenticity that comes from being connected with him. Being connected with him. And so I want to say this to you. If there is not a growing, clear fruit in your life, that the fruit of the Spirit, right? What's the fruit of the Spirit? Uh, I never did read it, did I? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. How do you get fruit? Starts with the seed. It's organic. It's natural. It's authentic when it comes out, if it's real. It's not put on. It's not pretentious. It's not a contrived way of praying or acting. It's not a tone in your voice. It's not a, well, you know, I'm trying to be gentle. God has a perfect plan for recreating in you the image of his son. Not just part, but the fullness. If we would make ourselves accountable to the fruit, God, I, 
I look at somebody who's influential. I look at somebody who's anointed. I look at somebody who's powerful. I look at somebody who's loving. I look at somebody who's kind. I look at somebody who's forgiving. I look. I, I want to be like that, and I, I want to love those things. How do I do that? He says, abide in me. Abide in me. And that's going to take time. More than anything, it's going to take time. Time together. Time with each other. Time, time seeking his presence. Can you say amen? I believe that there's a wave of the presence coming. Of the wave of the life of God approaching the earth. And it's going to sweep all of us in a certain direction. But as I've said before, some are going to know how to navigate and cooperate and yield to that wave when it comes. And it's going to propel them in a ways it's not going to propel others. We're all going to be touched. We're all going to love it. If you study past revivals in history, you've got all kinds of people who were there in the moment. Some were deeply affected. Some were just stood in awe, mouths hanging wide open, aghast at what's happening in wonderment, but who didn't know how to do anything with it, but loved the meetings. I mean, of all the things you could possibly be, that's probably not the worst. (coughs) But there's more to aspire to. So, Father, I pray, God, that out of Spruce Grove community, you would produce, God, lovers of God, lovers of you, people who know how to connect with your presence, people who uh, don't value a meeting because it has the right order, the right set of components in it. Father, people who, who don't value interchange with one another because of the superficial niceties that we associate with polite society. But Father, we want to be governed by a life that comes from you. We want to be governed by an affection, God, for one another, for the lost, for the nations, for people in government, for our neighbors. God, we pray, Lord, that we would, uh, we would become lovers of your presence and dispensers of that presence to others. Now, you may not have considered the significance of this beginning of this year. And it may seem to you like, well, we're always doing fasts. I'll get on the next one. Uh, And it's true. There's a lot of fasts being called. But of all the things you could give yourself to in this life, this is the most important, seeking him. Seeking him, seeking him. I know the tyranny of our culture, of the financial needs, of the pressing nature, of the demands that are upon us cause us to be distracted in many ways. But God is saying, listen, seek me with all your heart. Father, Father, we pray, God. So even right now, if the Spirit of Lord is on you, if you feel the significance of this call. I want you to decide today, okay, I'm for the next three weeks, everything else is being put, in, put on hold. 
I'm going to fast. And you might want to do a Daniel fast. You might want to do a water fast. I mean, the most significant fast is obviously food. But we need to take the time to get oriented because we are the church. We are the gate of heaven on earth. We are the answer to a lost and dying world. Just make the decision today. Father, we will give ourselves to following hard after you. I'm praying for a miracle today. Because I know the reality is that some of us come to church on a regular basis. And we look at others as they make noise or cry or demonstrate some kind of wholehearted desperation. And we think, man, I could never do that. Must be a personality thing. Let me tell you, God is greater than your personality. God has a trump card that can overwhelm the value you place in your intellectual absorbing of events and interesting information. And he wants you to desire him more than anything else. He wants to catalyze all the components of your heart, all the strings, all. He says, look at, I'm looking for those whose desire, whose eye, whose hearts are full, complete. Father, do a miracle today. Lord, give us a wholeness that we've never had. God, enable us to be abandoned. Enable us, Father, to to know that you're so real and you're so within reach that, Father, I could be like the mother of Samuel who cried out to you in the temple and it didn't matter that the priest, the high priest, thought she was drunk. God, she was so beside herself with desire. God, I don't want to need barrenness to compel that kind of full-heartedness. I don't want to need tragedy to compel that kind of full-heartedness. God, give us the miracle of full-heartedness. It's a time to question why we're so reserved. Why am I so guarded? What do I hide? What am I protecting? We're commanded to love God with all of our hearts. What do you do when you can't? We're commanded to love God with all of our minds. What do you do when you can't? Love God with all your soul, all your strength. What does that look like? Can I even do that? If I tried, would it it be embarrassing? We're saying God set me on the journey to make me a full-hearted lover of God. So we're just going to go a couple more minutes. There's two boundary lines that we're bumping up against. You might be at the first one. The first one is the I can't line. I can't fast like that. I can't pray like that. I can't worship like that. I can't. And there's a crossing over for you available. But the second line is a little bit more dangerous. The second line is the I won't line. And some of us are coming up to that one. That line has some serious consequences if you don't cross it. 
That's the line that sends you around a mountain for a year. I know it. I've done it. I said no to him once after I gave my word. It cost me a year of my life that was absolutely fruitless. And I'm telling you, some of you are coming up to the I won't line. Figure it out. Take stock. It's serious. This 22 days is an opportunity to cross some lines in your life. And so, Holy Spirit, we're asking in the name of Jesus for a grace to come down on us that is bigger than us, that's bigger than our willpower. We're asking for a grace to come down on us that empowers us to sacrifice and it empowers us to pray and it empowers us to open our hearts and it empowers us to do the things that we haven't been able to do and we haven't been willing to do. I'm asking for a grace to come down on this house that changes our nature that changes the desires of our heart, that changes our habits and our patterns and breaks our strongholds. I'm asking for a grace to come down on us in these 22 days to put aside the things that are hollow and meaningless in our life. I'm asking for a grace to come down on us in these 22 days, God, that changes the course of our destinies, our family lines. Oh, God. We're saying in the name of Jesus that we're yielding 22 days. Help us, God. Help us. Help us. Help us. Help us, God. Help us fast. Help us pray. Help us cry out. We need you to whisper through these 22 days. Do this or don't do that. We need you to talk to us. We need you to prompt us. We need you to push us. We're asking for you to intervene, God, where we want you to and where we don't want you to. We're asking you to intervene. On your timetable, day or night, give us a picture of what a radical lover of Jesus looks like and then start building us into it. Give us a picture of what we look like in revival and build us into it. Give us revolutionary prayers for our lives and for our families' lives and for our neighbors, for our city. Undignified. Undignified. What would it look like if we rent our garments when we prayed? What would it look like if we threw ashes on our head? That's biblical, by the way. What would it look like if we actually cut loose? What would it look like if we actually did some things that seem a little crazy and maybe a little too far? What would it look like? What would it do to us if we started to do it? Holy Spirit, we authorize you in the name of Jesus. And to the best of our ability, we will incline our hearts. We will direct our spirits and our thoughts to the best of our ability will line up to agree with you. We commit our silence. We commit our voices. We commit our bodies. We commit ourselves to prayer and fasting. We commit ourselves to discipline. We commit ourselves when we fail to restart and keep going. We commit to getting back up where we fail or where we forget. We agree that there's more inside us that we haven't seen yet. 
and we're going to walk into the awkward places and the stretches of awkward times. We're going to stand there where the tension's building and we don't know what to do and we don't know what to say and we're going to stand there. We're not going to back up because we want you. We want you. We want you. We want what we've read about. We want what we've heard about in other places and other times. We're not going to give up easily or quickly. We're not going to let go too soon. Jacob wrestled with you all night and the blessing came in the tail end. We bless you, Lord. We believe that we received because we've prayed. We know it's your will that we come closer. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for what's happening. Thank you what's going to take place through these days. Thank you for what's coming. Thank you for what's already been released. Let Jesus get all the honor. Bless you all.